Today's show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Stop wasting time at the post office. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN for a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. That's Stamps.com. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN. This is the pod you've always wanted to hear. We are two guys that sometimes drink beer. And we say things that your mom told you to fear. It's the bad, 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 bad Security administration. Oh, God. The reason you have received this phone call from yes. our department is to inform you that there's a legal enforcement action filed on your social security number oh, for uh-oh. activities. So when you get this message, kindly press one before we begin with the legal proceedings. I repeat, press one to speak with our officers directly. You don't want legal proceedings. Thank you and have a nice day. Pretty sure I get an email or something. Yeah. I don't know if they usually go through the your uh social security number to sue you or something, right? No. There's nothing but, over the phone. But that gets old people oh, and I'm yeah. getting old. I know. Do you see what I'm saying? I know. So that that thing that just played it it does seem intimidating and scary and like my my parents and Jess's parents that they will get you. Like Jess's mom uh, a thing popped up on our computer. This is years ago now. I mean, you know, back, you know, this was this is probably maybe ten years ago. Thing popped up on our computer, and it said, "Your computer's infected. Please call Apple right now." Here's the number, you know. And so she called that number, and they said they worked with Apple. Everything charged her like 150 bucks. He said, "I got it all off. Thank you, ma'am." And she mm-hmm. felt so relieved. And she was telling us it was he was the nicest guy. And I said, "That guy lied to you." He either put something on there that he could take off, or you know that whatever he did was just right. malware. Just, yeah, he just took off his own that. malware. He didn't help you at all. She's like, "What?" And she couldn't believe it. Well, the old white people are in huge trouble. For the- <laughs> I'm serious; they're in big trouble. <laughs> hey, I know but that's what I'm saying. That's you and me. Very soon, like, we're I know. very close. I know. I'm just saying, but me, yeah, like our. I'm drawing a distinction between the average person that went to my high school and me, and and it is my life's work to be d- distinct from the predicament that I think they're going to find themselves into. <laughs> that's the, that's that's my one of my motivating principles is that fact. But uh, what's an example of in trouble though? You got to help me out here. What do you mean? I, I just gave you. The, 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 I mean the the the, the these tricks. Yeah. They're going to get worse and worse and more real. Oh, oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Okay. So my grandpa was smart and managed his li- his whole life really well. Did good. But in his uh, later years, he bought a lot of shit off late night TV and <laughs> it started to cause some real problems <laughs> at some point. Is- issues with the family? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you know, he wasn't able to really, like, he, they didn't, you know, manage their senior citizen years the best, but... They weren't able to understand everything that was happening, you know. Right. So that caused some problems for them. Now, and this is is this the nineties and early two thousands or what? Yeah, 
Yeah. So I mean, and, gosh. And so that's fine. I under, right. I mean, that's fine. Um, not that big of a deal or anything, but you know, the computers are smarter than the late night TV used to be. And the people right now that are, you know, my age that aren't that with it are completely fooled already about everything yeah. <laughs> by the computers. So it's not much. I mean, there's no, it's the computers and people using computers should have no problem getting their wealth in the oh, coming right. decades. Yes. You're to right. get the wealth from those people yeah. is going to be easy. 100%. It's just a matter of who figures out how to get it, whether it's Nigerians or people. You know, Nigerians like it, are so good at just it. Just whoever's going to figure it out with experience. their own proprietary algorithms designed to trick old people yeah. <laughs> will be able to. <laughs> you know, so And the less with you're with it culturally, the easier it is, right? Yeah. So the more ice, you know, and we know that the, the white Americans that aren't doing well already that turn to everything they turn to are very susceptible to things. Yeah. And that's, it's just not really, okay. Uh, additionally, I think there's a giant amount of uh, people who are in their homes that own their homes that, you know, the reverse mortgage kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. if, if housing's tough now, uh, well, that, that's, you'll, those will show up in the next 10 years. Uh, the people that all decided they wanted to stay in their house and get $100,000 checks. That's right now. The yeah. part where they don't own their house anymore hasn't happened yet. That right. happens when they die. So, you know, there's many old people yeah. who's, who are, have, are giving away their houses today and don't really think about it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't They don't know that that's if, happening. If some, a few of my family members have done that and not said anything, but just right. got that money or whatever, that, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. One of the things you said, though, that's really hilarious that you skipped right over is when you said that, uh, you said you're – your grandpa bought stuff off late night TV. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people listening right now have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> like, no, I don't think they. I mean, of course, many of them do, but I mean, there used to not be late night TV. It was commercials, right? I mean, th yeah. think about. I mean, seriously, probably about around maybe after Arsenio Hall T show, mm -hmm. it went straight commercials or that. Uh, what was that? Uh, ev evangelical uh, prophet guy. It was like Rob Van Winkle or something like that. There was one that that might be uh, ice, uh, vanilla ice. Whoever it was, he's it was this Christian guy, and he would tell you about the end times and all this stuff. But I mean, there was so many ads up until about the news in the morning. And if you stayed up and watched it, and your grandpa just watched it, but I mean that they figured out a way that they would buy that space of time and do those ads. And I always thought it was hilarious and silly and all stuff. But it totally worked. No, it's the what? leading edge of the data-driven direct sales yeah. thing. I mean, I mean but that, it's actually that's what Facebook super is built for. Is right, you're exactly right. For that hyper version of that. Yeah. And it's working. But right now, most of, you know, like, first of all, nobody ever cares when old people that have money. That's what I'm saying. We're also, let me also situate it in the context of we're in, obviously, a massive uh time to transfer of wealth from the ruling class who is white people with wealth that can be targeted like that's the whole social program of the united states right now right is to redistribute that wealth from uh landlords who, who do you think landlord you know what i'm saying like we're going to figure out what like same as the vaccine it's not they're not the highest prioritized people and they're used to being 
more taken care of and prioritized right. than, than is the future is going to contain. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like the same way that they're not actually, they're a little bit farther back in line than you would think on the vaccine. They will be for mortgage, reverse mortgage relief or staying in their homes or medical right. care or protection from scams. Algorithm. I mean, they're not going to be on the, everybody's list to go safe. Right. The, the, what, the ones that own houses that lose them, that have these million-dollar houses? No, they just lose them. Yeah, they'll just lose them. And they I mean, won't know, be, you know, people will get their money. It, like, that's, it, it is redistribution. It will occur. Right. <laughs> well, the, well, the other thing, too, is our entire financial system is probably at the breaking point, and a lot of people are predicting some kind of crash here. But also we're transferring uh, from the traditional – currency to this new cryptocurrency and what could that look like maybe it'll fail maybe it won't but i mean it is going to make a lot of sense that you don't have to worry about borders anymore with your money like I, like that yeah, that yeah. seems so outdated and silly now that I, that if i travel to another country i have to switch my money and why, no right. why would anybody do? and what is really amazing about it is from the time i was probably you know old enough to remember so say i was five years old i've been hearing one world government, one world currency, one world, you know, all that. I mean, that was just instilled in mm-hmm. me that in the future, uh, that all this stuff is going to happen and it's going to be a sign of the end times, right? And here's what's really crazy a lot of the stuff I taught is true. It, predi- yeah. it, it did predict a lot of this. Now, it just predicted it with fear, and I don't have the fear of it anymore. Like now, now it just makes sense. Of course, you would do this. It's not just for evil purposes. It makes sense that you're connected to the world by this little, you know, six inch thing that you hold in your hand. <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking about wieners. I'm talking about your phone <laughs> out there. You sick fucks. Two uh, inch, three inch, yeah, whatever yeah, yours yeah. is. I don't know. I got <laughs> uh, uh, nine. This nine inch thing you have. <laughs> God, man, our listeners are disgusting. They make me sick. I'm trying to talk there, about. There was a time prophecy. when you, you felt connected to the world by just looking down and holding your own six inch, you know, flesh. Yeah. In your hands, but now you're connected to the world by holding uh, six inches of silicon in your hand. Yeah. Oh man, wouldn't everybody would on Earth would rather hold six inches of of just glass and uh, yeah, easy all technology than your a wiener or vagina (laughs) anymore. That's that's all. But but we are likely to uh, you know uh, transition through a financial revolution, wouldn't you say? Like yes, that's probably at some point there was the internet. And then there was the financial, a new financial something, there, right? There, there'll be. Well, if you're designing a company now, design it to weather the storm of a revolution of money. <laughs> you right. know, like how do you build? How do you build stuff for the next thirty years? You can't just say you can't just right. like decide a retirement amount of U.S. dollars you need. Yeah, like, yeah. doesn't that seem a little? Right, not up to the task, or what would you? What kind of? I don't know, but it'll be it'll be tricky to navigate. So I'm just saying, old white people aren't going to get rescued, and they will face many challenges. Well, I even think of it like this, but let's put it in the Christian context. It feels very similar to Martin Luther nailing the 99 uh, on the door. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, you don't need this anymore. You you have access immediately to Christ. You have access, you know, you can go to Jesus. You can pray to him. It changed it changed the way we look at our God. Mm-hmm. That there was you didn't necessarily need a mediator. Mm-hmm. And and now, I mean, and that's been the big uh deterrent for anyone gaining wealth is that you feel like you have to go through all these hoops and be in the right club and do this, this, right skin color, all of that stuff for 
as long as anyone has ever remembered. And now, with the advent of uh, immediate information and a little bit of you know uh, bravery and determination, you can start making money. You will be able to start creating things. You can make something out of your garage right now that'll make you a, a, a could make you a billionaire one day. It's possible. And so I mean, yeah. everybody has. I mean, you think about it just with uh, entertainment. We we've, we've been talking about this with like with this show and with Emory about how uh, we want to create uh, content. Well, anybody can. There, there's somebody right now that is creating something today that everyone will be talking about in the coming weeks. Yeah, today, but, that's happening right now. And, and you know what? They of, are not famous. They are not famous right now. And they're creating that thing right now, and everybody's going to be talking about it in the next month or two. <laughs> yeah, It might yeah. be a TikTok or something, but I mean, you, it will gain some kind of... Uh, you know, fame to it, and and anybody can do that now. You have access to. I mean, you could never be a on a TV show, and even up until the mid two thousands, or you know, you couldn't do that. But now you can do anything. You can be on TikTok and get a million followers immediately. Yeah, but I mean, it'll you have be more followers less, than they do for TV shows. There's less existing ways of gaining resources that aren't don't involve things that don't exist. I mean, that's very scary to. Say you can do anything, but you have to decide what it is. That's that's the step that is not comfortable. I bet you, yeah. when they did the ninety five thesis, they Martin Luther um, did the ninety five thesis and all that. Ninety five, I thought it was ninety nine. I don't know. I think I'm thinking of Jay Z. Yeah, you're thinking of Jay Z. Oh yeah. shit! Uh, yeah. Another great <laughs> yeah <laughs> influencer. Yeah, okay. Yes, put, they really put. They both put things into perspective. I would say <laughs> ninety five thesis, but I'm a bitch ain't one. <laughs> right. Um, the when the old people at that time who were not open to new ideas were not prepared at age whatever they were, lived to back then to start going to God directly. Once yeah. Martin Luther pointed out the elephant in the room or the obvious thing, like you know we could go directly or whatever, they're like, oh no, you know, no. In fact, they could not. Was their response. Yep. And at that moment, I don't think that they could. Right? Right. So that's, you, you, you'll have to remain fl- more flexible than you might think um, to navigate the coming decades, is the way I would say it. You, you might, you know how old people aren't so flexible? Yeah, definitely. Physically, the, mentally, it, you emotionally. Pro- you everything. used to could get away with that. You used to could skate into 80s inflexibly. Right. That's all I'm saying. Uh, now you got me thinking about Martin Luther. I looked him up. Can you guess the year Martin Luther was born? If you get it, I will give you ten dollars. To the exact year? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't I'll give you know. five years each way. Fourteen twenty-two. No, I have no idea. Four, Sixteen. That's, that's a good guess, know. though. Fourteen eighty-three. That was okay. a good guess. Good. I could. I could have given you a hundred years. That would. That would have still been pretty fair, and you would have nailed that one. You know what I mean? Like a, a which uh, century or whatever. What? Say it uh, again. It was what. 1483. That should be super easy if anybody ever wanted to remember that because it's, you know, just 1492 was but nine years later. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, I've never put those into, you know, perspective before, but not that I didn't know anything about it. I was just guessing, but that makes sense to pinpoint them at the same time. It's neat. Uh, that um, was a world that was about to change in some big ways at that time, right? Yeah. Um, what was really crazy later, you know, all I ever heard was good stuff about him, and then later you find out like he's pretty anti-Semitic and uh, had some bad stuff. But I, on his uh, Wikipedia page, I'm trying to look for the 95, and it doesn't say it. it you Ma- would think that would be a whole tab. That they Maybe that's that thing like the Berenstain Bears where there was no – we're just making it up. 
Oh man, what it, We're, this is Mandela effect. There's no such thing as the Reformation. No, you're right. I typed in 95 thesis, uh, and it's in here. The 95 thesis, oh, good. Or, or disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgencies is a list of propositions for an academic disputation written in 1517 by Martin Luther, professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg, Germany. Woo. Man, that's Thank a lot. I, I, I mean, no chance I can understand what that meant. Anyway, yeah, old people are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you know who isn't screwed? Who isn't? Us, because we got a great interview coming up. Oh, excellent. Yes. I'm very excited about this. You excited yep. about it? I am. These guys are coming on. Um, t- I want to get the name of the, the movie right that they made. Gun and a Hotel Bible. And Gun it's and a Hotel by, Bible. Yep. Brad, uh, Brad Gosnell and Daniel Florin. Um, and, yeah, and they wrote this as a play. Yes, that's what's interesting about it. Toby and I just watched the movie, and we're going to talk about it with these guys who both wrote the movie, starred in the movie, made it in a very quick time with a very low budget in a very fascinating way that seems... In my mind, like all of a sudden you go, oh, I can see how a movie could get made. They started by making a play. They wrote the play, acted it out, got it all worked out. Reminds me of like stand-up comedy, like open mic. You go through it and do it until they were ready to do it and then shoot it as a movie. And that kind of reminded uh, us of the way we were shooting our concert specials. I'm Only Man in the Week's End. It's kind of like you have worked them out over all this time. You've developed them in real life. Then you capture them in the moment on the screen, and then it makes this really awesome thing. These guys also, the content of the the movie and stuff has to do with the Gideon Bible and Christianity and inner introspective stuff. So it's just all, all the stuff is so exciting to us that it's overlapping and, and up our alley anyway. So we thought it would be terrific to talk to the creators about their process and stuff like that. So um, how did you find this anyway, Toby? Did say, somebody send it to us? Yeah, some people reached out to us, and I was like, huh, how, is this something I want to watch? And I was like, I'll give it a shot. And and I really liked it, and so I was like, great. Let's, let's bring them on. Yeah, they sent us a screen. They, they, that's what great. I thought was cool. They won me over, so I thought it was it's really good. Okay, and uh, we'll see if they're entering the Zoom chat, and we'll get them on here in just a second. But while we do that, I'm going to scold you guys for wasting time. I've gotten rumors that some of y'all are still wasting time with the hassle of going to the post office. Let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you should spend your time. That's why I recommend mailing and shipping online at stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters, you can ship packages, and you can pay a lot less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. We are, I am a longtime user of Stamps.com for, I mean, maybe seven years. It might be one of the longest. It might be one of the first things I ever, we subscribed to as a business and still have. Uh, this was long before they were sponsored. They've served us very well, very easy to use, just like they say. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. 
Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, and any class of mail anywhere you want to send. And once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts. It's great. There's tons of things. It's a no-brainer. Tons of reasons why it can save you time and money. And it's no wonder nearly over 1 million. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code, with our promo code, BADCHRISTIAN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com, promo code Bad Christian, Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, It feels, uh, it's kind of extra fun. You know, I I just finished the movie recently, as in I watched some of it earlier when we got the screener, and I finished it today. So I'm just fresh off being immersed in your story and world. And I didn't realize until halfway through that the writers that we were talking to were the actual stars of the movie itself. So when you're a little kid and you watch a movie, you know, you're left with that feeling like you could go to that world or meet those people or whatever, and you can't tell whose characters or real life. Um, I'm having that experience right now because I'm just, I'm just I want to talk to you guys and I assume your personalities are just like the ones you portray in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> We're exactly the same. You know, Hold I live on. in a drawer. I uh, <laughs> I like have lots of I have a leather cover. It's I'm I'm just the same. <laughs> well, also uh, Matt, they don't know this, but you guys are talking to two actors as well. Matt and mm-hmm. I were in a play in college. <laughs> oh my gosh we'll play we'll play with you okay so, I'll t- it requires yeah. a little story to tell <laughs> the oh, background yeah. of i'll do it quick <laughs> yeah um but toby and i were dating a couple of, we were doing music in college but we dated a couple of girls who were in theater and yeah. so each each sem- year one of the semesters for the theater department they would do one act plays instead of doing big productions and, and they yeah. would let students direct one act plays and there's these big open auditions because they get a lot of people for it and so they, all the theater department was buzzing about that and who's going to get it and who's going to do what. So me and Toby came in to clown and show up and did the auditions, you know, to right. see if we could get a part. It probably was a little spiteful to show our girlfriends. To or our girlfriends, like, like, oh, y'all think y'all are actors. Right. Well, guess what? <laughs> and so uh, Toby and I got picked uh, pretty much immediately by a director to star in just a two-man show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they did, I don't oh. think they got parts in any No, and they were really mad. <laughs> they were very upset. So, like, you did what you wanted to do. You showed them, you know. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So we, we won, right, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was a Harold Pinter play, The Dumbwaiter was the yeah. – Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so it really did have a stark parallel to your movie because it pretty much all happened in a single location right. with two actors. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw it, that's what I, and that was, you know, 20 years ago <laughs> when Toby and I right. did, uh, did that. And we've been doing music still ever since. But I, I was just contemplating. I was like, man, what if we had done acting for 20 years, studying the screenplays and writers? We might could be where y'all are, where you can write and make a movie, you know. So that's kind yeah. of the, how we come I, to I it. Mean, I mean, I imagine for you guys, it, it made the process you know, more fun, if not easier, to be working with each other. Right. Uh, And I'd say that's probably very similar to Dan and I. We've been working together for, we met in college, very similar, or I don't know if you guys met in college, but uh, we worked together in college. uh, And so we've been working together for 10 years now. We've done improv, we've done writing, we've done acting. 
Uh, we've done, um, you know, sort of tangential creative theatrical work in terms of like prop design and stuff like that. So awesome. yeah, it's very similar. Well, stepping on stage with Dan was, I, I guess, stepping on like, like, you know, Matt and Toby stepping on stage together, uh, having a good time, you know? Well, the, our biggest critique was, it was really funny. It was like three days in and the director, uh, we knew her, uh, mm -hmm. she was a friend of a friend, uh, but, uh, she was like, Hey, here's what I want to try. Do y'all think she probably said, do you think that y'all, you don't have, could y'all try not to sound like you do? Because we sounded so Southern and horrible that she, she was like, she was trying to be as nice as she could, but you know, it was supposed to be two English guys. And we, we, we oh, just, no. we tried, we tried for about two days and she was like, yeah, just go back to normal. It's okay. Yeah, don't go don't back even to do Southern that. Accent, Cause we couldn't do English at all. It was killing it. But yeah, I, even, I, I'd say any British place sounds better in Southern. Yeah, it probably yeah. does. Yeah. I will say though, watching like the the movie and the way you guys interacted with each other and the movement and where you were going, it really did remind me of that. Like I, I really appreciated that uh, that everything is happening in this little circle. Like when you guys were writing that movie, was that kind of one of the big intent in, intentional designs of it? Like it's it's really about these two characters. Hundred percent. I mean, yeah. uh, to what you said, it's it, it, uh, it started as a play. We started. We did it originally because we were trying to figure out the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which is a theater festival. And we we're like, "Oh, I wonder if we could do something for Fringe." And Fringe thrives off of you know, like you got a uh, <clears throat> when you do a Fringe play, you got fifteen minutes to pack in your entire set and your entire audience. Then you have an hour to do the play, and you got fifteen minutes to pack out your entire set and your entire audience. And so it's like, okay, it's got to be super bare bones. It's got to be really simple. And so we were, we were riding with that in mind. And so, uh, so it's, and then that translated to the movie of, you know, we, in the movie, we get out of the room a little bit, but all that kind of flows into there, but kind of being, you know, being like a, a boxing ring that we all just get to, you know, uh, circle up in. So that's, it's like the idea of putting the constraints on it is very, very helpful for the, to, to do, to make the thing then. In yeah, for way. sure. For sure. I mean, something that Dan and I talk about, or I, I guess we talked about at some point in this production was, like the strange relationship between liberation and limitation that like, mm -hmm. if you limit one thing, you're liberating yourself to pursue something else. Like uh, I do not want to do music or, or are you guys saying, I don't, we, we, we don't, we don't, we don't want to be actors. We want to do, do music. And that limitation sort of liberated that path uh, for you guys. And so for us, the, the limitation, creatively speaking of, you know, we got with the loaded in quick and it has to be uh, within this time frame. Uh, really helped us make our decisions um, in line with that. And, and it did a great job of sort of shaping where we had to go. So exactly what you're saying, like it, it actually spurs creativity. And sometimes a blank page is a lot harder to work with than clear parameters. Um, yeah. I'm really curious yeah. how the long it took to make, because it's, it, it seems that it could be, have been made, quick because of the design like that it could have been made in one take for a lot for you know it could have been done live in a sense and i'm really tracking all the trends so my mind's always there of like where's broadway going where are concerts going so you know we just did a concert set of concerts where we played together in a circle in real time yeah. in a theatrical like production of music and i feel like man mm -hmm. with the plays with the theater and with movies i mean i feel like all those things are kind of headed in that space but what you did I'm sure it was had its a long production schedule, but um, you know what I mean. How long was that, and how much, how dense could that art form be? Like two people that was really organized. I mean, that's what's exciting to me. 
how long yes. how long did like how was the production design and it was, that process I mean, it was and how long? quick so because when we, when we went into doing the film we had been doing the play for for a few months okay so you'd already so, been doing that the whole the play okay so, that's you know, awesome we were, we were off book we kind of and then and then and then when uh uh raja came in and and said hey i want to i want to help take this thing from stage to screen and so he and alicia uh so uh, our our we had a director for the play, which was Alicia, and she was amazing. And then Raja came in and co-directed with Alicia for the film, and Raja really kind of masterminded getting it from stage to screen. Um, and uh, yeah, well, we we started doing previs, which means that we you like you film the whole thing on a on a digital camera in like we did it in my living room and then in, in Raja's living room. So we we you like film the whole thing so you block out what the shots are going to be, and so you know really specifically just how it's going to go. And as we were doing it. Uh, Raja was like, oh, shoot, you guys, you guys like know your stuff. And we're like, yeah, we've been doing it forever. And we wrote it. And so he was like, great, well, we'll just kind of plan on that then. Uh, so we did the whole film in like four days with the weekend. Yes. Exteriors. Wow, we just awesome. like pounded it out. It was insane. That's awesome. Because yeah. that means there's such a future in that style to me because, you know, the resources of Hollywood, like you think, oh, Avengers take a year, five years to make them, I mean, whatever, all these resources. Right. This is the opposite of that is if you can do the, like in jazz, if you could play, you might make a record playing in a lounge one night and it can be a popular record forever because you've captured that thing that is so yeah. dialed. And yeah. that's what you you guys are doing. It's like a stand-up comedy. You capture a special once it's been rehearsed a thousand times. There's just a filming of it, and that's mm -hmm. the product. So you guys almost make it, made a movie like that, which is totally like doable and sustainable with minimal resources. That's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything everything that we that was necessary for the play helped us in the film because you know we wanted to we we wanted to get the play to as much time as we can. And so I, I, I probably make up this number each time. So Danny, you're gonna help me keep me honest with this. But I'd say we probably finished the play within like a minute and a half of, like within a minute and a half variance. Like we we essentially finished the play around the same time each night. And as you guys know, it's just like we just get in there and go. So by the time because we had to load out, you know. So by the time we were on set, the rhythms were so consistent that over the course of however many pages it is you can end within the same amount of time with all the pauses and all the, you know, we're not just rushing through it. Um, so it was, there, it, the, the analogy to music is perfect because for us, it did feel like a song and a dance. There was a musicality to when I interrupt him and how long I wait. And, and, and we were just sort of knew where each other were um, along the way. And for me, you know, I, I grew up in the theater. So the idea of really, really rehearsing something before you perform it is in my DNA. That, that's most of where I get my good work from is that sort of experimental, let's try this, let's try that. I'm gonna go home and like workshop it and work on it. And I can expect that so I can build that into my, you know, inner life or character work. And and most films don't require that much, you know, personal rehearsal because we're changing locations and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So you kind of show up on the day and your, your character work's sort of established and done. Um, and these are generalizations, but for me, I find such value in rehearsal. And I find such value in knowing what the blocking is and building into that uh, the character work and those relationships. Uh, and so if more films were done this way, I mean, it's a cheap way to do a film to like really, really know what the actors are doing to get off book and cold for it, to like practice it with, you know, an iPhone in the living room. And then when you get to production, you are paying for lights and sound. You're just putting down, you're laying down what you already have. Uh, established and there is like a, a free form uh, element to that and 
I love that you compared it to jazz. I love the comparison yeah. to music. I think they're spot I, on. But and uh, at the same time, I'll say this too: it's there's a film has so many freaking moving parts. Yeah. There's just so many. There's so many things, and so huge shout out to Raja and Robert Arnold, our DP, and mm-hmm. like the whole cast, the whole crew was like, it was just crazy. Like it was crazy the how how dialed right. in they were able to get it to like crank us through and make a day it was insane. So that's awesome. You mentioned yeah. Raja. I, I saw that on. Um, imdb today but i don't know toby if you looked at it but you know the director of this movie also directed big mama's house no way martin <laughs> yeah. lawrence yeah nice that's one of my all-time favorite movies probably oh yeah that's yeah. great oh yeah i love that movie and I mean, worked on the home alone <laughs> franchise some as well i saw oh that's too. really cool well that, well that was the question i was going to ask you what what was there any big differences acting wise with having a director and you guys moving from a play because there's a often or usually there's a live audience there and then you went to this set and then there's a director telling you your cues was there anything that like uh changed with you or was it were you caught off guard at all or was it a pretty smooth transition Dan you want to go first sure yeah I mean um for yeah when we when we were doing it for stage we're doing it with our director Alicia and so you know you're kind of prepping for stage and um and there's 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 a there, yeah there's definitely some changes getting used to going from going from uh stage to screen i'd say a couple of the big ones um uh one uh um the bradley's talked about this before it's 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 the the, the stamina of stage is different than a stamina of movie making because on stage you do whatever you want all day and then you grab dinner and you got to get to the theater and you got to be revved up to go because you're going to have, you know, a couple hours where you don't get to be out of it. You are in it yeah. for a couple hours. But then you're done and you go home, you go to bed. You do that every single night. And uh, and on for film, we'll spend a, a eight to 12 hour day kind of like coming in for a shot, coming out for a shot, coming in for a shot, coming out for a shot. And, and there's, and uh, Bradley said this, which is so true, which is you can't, there's no way that you can sustain all day, just like sitting in it and sitting in, especially like our movie gets intense and, and, you know, like it's so heavy. You can't just sit in the heavy all day. You'll, you'll just go dry. And so, so you got to kind of like be able to hop in and come out and grab a snack and read a book and then you're back up again. And so, so it's like a, it's much more of a marathon uh, as opposed to uh, doing it, doing a show for theater, which is, you know, you get that one night um, and then, and then you get to go home. So, mm-hmm. and then the I, audience, you're looking at a camera now as opposed to a live audience. Right. And so you're thinking yeah. about the camera angles and stuff. Yeah. Well, I love that you said that we, cause we start, we started the play with direct address. Uh, so we talk right to the audience. Right. Which, um, and we do it's that. A really, it's a well. really cool scene as well. Yeah. 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 We, like, with talk you right talking to her and you're at the bar. That's that. I thought that scene was really well done. Oh yeah. Incredibly yeah. shot. Um, and it was great for me. I just needed to show up and, and say the monologue. <laughs> uh, but what, what's, what's nice about it in theater is that as an audience member, you are really shocked to have an actor look at you and talk to you. And, you know, as an actor, you can ask, you know, questions like and what do you think and you know you sort of don't mean it but when you ask a question and expect a response it does something to your tone and for the audience now all of a sudden they feel like i i should have said something he was asking me and so i love playing with direct address uh for a live production i think it really shocks the audience into engagement um 
And, uh, and, and so that was something that I was really nervous about going to film was like, you know, I feel like I'm going to miss this sense of participation that we get from the audience. And when we were doing it live, you know, we, people would agree with us audibly. Someone would be like, that's right. Or, it, you know, someone would agree with me or, or agree with Dan's character. We had some friends who like would write stuff down and, and would get involved. And it felt a little bit more like a conversation. And so losing that or missing that, I was really nervous about going to film. Um, but I think that we did a good job with the steady cam of making it feel active and making it feel frenetic. You know, we were talking about all the moving parts. There's these scenes, you know, a page and a half scene where we're kind of, you know, rattling dialogue back and forth and the camera's kind of weaving around both of us and then one of us. And then, and for Dan and I, we're like, the camera's behind us and then it's in front of us and we're trying to like hold our eye line and then right. the camera's back and then we jump in front and it's like, you know, a steady cam with a boom and a guy with a light and it's all, you know, three or four people just running around. Um, but I thought, I think that that frenetic energy kind of helped accomplish the tension and the, the, the kind of the, Oh, the, the, the energy that you get from two six foot four dudes in a really small theater uh, bouncing off the walls. So I thought I thought we did a good job of kind of transitioning that energy as best. That's we can. great. And those direct address things at the top, which I, as you say, were just so, so well done. So well shot. Well, thank you for indulging us on the ways of the some of this technical stuff about the cre art creation and the creativity and how it's used. That's what I mean. That's just that really exciting stuff to us. And, and it also so happens that the plot of this movie and the content and the philosophical stuff that's in it is right up our alley too. Um, mm. and, and this, uh, I don't know how you even talk about it, but it, it deals with scripture and inerrancy and the inner monologue of people who are struggling with faith or whatever, but it just doesn't feel anything like I would, I would not say it's a Christian movie. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even look at right. it that way. It's a Hollywood movie written by some guys and stuff that actually cover the themes that are interesting. So it feels like that approach, which I think is meaningful distinction from where we come from out of Christian music and stuff. Yeah, that's what I was, uh, we're in a band and uh, that's the question we always got to ask. Are you a Christian band? Or are you Christians in a band? That's what I was going to ask you. Are you, is this a Christian movie or are you Christian actors in a movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, the big distinction. Yes. Yeah. No, because when we, well, that's a great question. When we, when we first wrote the play, we we weren't you know we weren't we weren't writing it with like a faith based audience in mind at all. We we were just we were writing a play for the Hollywood Fringe Festival that happened to be on the subject of faith. Um, mm. But even that almost was on accident. It felt like we were we were just kind of like we kind of stumbled into it. I'm like oh shoot. Um, and yeah, so, I, mean, I, I think yeah, we like what, what was so 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 it's inspired by a Beatles song. You guys are musicians. Uh, and you've heard of the Beatles, surely. Uh, yeah, the uh, the song "Rocky Raccoon." Do you guys know that song? It's uh, so. the chorus is "Rocky Raccoon takes the room only to find Gideon's Bible." And so I thought that was like a really dramatic premise. And so I said, "Hey Dan, we should write this play." And Dan initially said no, uh, because because I don't think there was this desire to say like a grand statement about the Bible. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, it, it was. It was kind of like you know. It, I didn't want to, yeah, right. That's exactly right. I didn't want to like make some big statement one way or the other, and all. And then Brad was like, "No, no, no. I just think it's a really interesting situation for a guy who's about to do do something bad to be stuck in a room talking to a Bible. That's dramatic." And so uh, Bradley talked me into it, and so we 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 formulated the points of view for the characters and started putting the play together. And then by the time we got to actually performing it at the Fringe Festival, 
after the play, people would be out on the sidewalk talk, talking about the play, but they'd also be talking about faith from one angle or another to be like, oh my gosh, I love when that guy said that thing, because that's what I think. And, and well, what do you think? And they'd, they'd be having conversations with people that they, you know, might not, or don't, yeah, might not agree with about, about, uh, faith stuff. And then, um, so anyways, yeah. So when we transferred it to film, we tried to keep some of that as much as we could. And we were like, we did some faith-based film festivals. We did some not faith-based film festivals. And there's a lot of festivals we didn't qualify for because yeah. we had language in it. And so, right. you know, so it, it, it's definitely been like, a uh, an interesting, an interesting thing trying to figure out what it is, uh, for us. Cause we wrote it as a drama with faith as a, as a core theme of it. But, but it seems like you guys must have a faith background enough to be able to deal as well with the topics as writers as you did. I mean, you, you know, it's very clear that you understand the internal dissonance that one has when wrestling with such things. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, Google was, was a big help along the way for both characters. Um, and and then there is some, you know, experience that came for free just by growing up uh, the way we did. Um, but, and, well, and along with that, you know, I, we've had people who aren't Christians or haven't grown up with that tradition uh, who relate to it. Because at the end of the day, it's it's about, you know, wrestling with and trying to untangle the stories you grew up with. And, you know, sometimes you believe stories because everyone else believes them. And sometimes you believe them because they're true. And sometimes you believe them because you just got to find some answer. And sometimes those aren't different. Something could be true and communal. Um, mm-hmm. And so trying to untangle those can be a process that's tricky and sometimes not fully realized. Sometimes people, you know, that, that process is just one that doesn't exist. Uh, and so I think for, for anyone going back, looking back at their lives and saying, what did I grow up with? What are the stories that I experienced as, as this character does, as Pete does, he grew up in a Christian tradition. Um, I think that's somewhat universal, but as you say, for us, I mean, it's, it's very much the Bible, <laughs> you know, it's about this character who grew up with a pastor for a father. Um, and those specifics are, are, are definitely, definitely there. Uh, and so people who grew up in that faith and who are maturing or are trying to untangle, you know, the stories uh, certainly, certainly uh, can empathize. And I think there, there was a degree of that character. Oh, I mean, it's a degree. We knew what we were doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So, yeah, I think for Pete, there, there was some there was some stuff pulled for that, for sure. For sure. So how do you then. I mean, this is my very curious, real question. How do you develop characters and write movies? How do you do that? Well, I'm interested in that. But how do you? And so, just jump in with this movie that I just yeah. saw that I feel like I focused on. You started from scratch, and then you made that. And I understand the technicalities of it. How do you develop those characters, and how do you write a movie or this That's or a play? A you wrote when you wrote it was a play. Yeah, but how? Cool. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Go well, ahead. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, I can say, yeah. I feel. I feel like the answer is probably different for every every human who's ever tried to write anything. Um, um, but yeah. uh, I guess how I, I, how I feel, you know, to me, if I'm gonna write a movie, there's there's something that hooks you. There's something that's interesting. Like in this case, it was this Beatles song. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then there's something dramatic about that. And then you just start you start kind of playing with the things that you like about it and trying to. Do you have a definition it. of drama? There, like that. So you had that nugget of exactly the way that made you feel to have be in this yes. situation with the Bible. Okay, I want to. I mean, to uh, on the on on the uh, 
uh, on, to borderline be pretentious, but uh, like Robert Frost, he's one of my favorite poets. And, and one thing that he says is he says, a, po- a poem is when a feeling has found, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's something like a poem is when a feeling has found its thought. And then that thought has found its words. And so for me, that's what making a story, like there's like a feeling, like there's like a, a lump in the throat, a like a, a gut punch or something. It's like, oh, there's something good in there. And then once I can wrap my mind around it, and like, I think it's something like this. And then you find the words and it comes out in dialogue. And then you're like, oh, okay, okay. So maybe it's like this and the scenes could fit like this. And so you kind of go back and forth between what am I feeling that I like about this? And then what am I thinking that like makes this interesting? And then how do I articulate this in a way that maximizes that feeling and thought that I have that can then transfer all that to whoever's watching it. Um, so process. So that's like the, the super heady philosophy version, but did you have it boiled down to a sentence? Like what is the sentence or words that you put the feeling into the thought into what words that guided you throughout? Uh, that's the play. That's the script. Yeah. Those are, that's the, like every, but you don't have it summed up in a phrase, like in some way, just, but that feeling was your guide the whole time of like, does this help me feel that feeling or distract from that? Yes. Is this distract? Like, yes. Like, is this, is yeah. Right. Are are we kind of like in the zone with that? Are we not in the zone with that? And just the conflict, the drama in my head in in some ways is at least conflict. And so the conflict of this guy who, uh, um, any any actor like the acting 101 is what does your character want and what's in their way and so you have this guy who wants a thing and then you have this bible who's in his way and then you have this bible who wants a thing and you have this character that's in his way and so they both deeply want things and they're both deeply directly in each other's way and so we get to watch kind of the the flint and steel crash together and hope to get sparks um and so that's that's what was like that's what felt really dramatic about it. And so then it was just kind of like getting out of the way of those things and then trying to power those up. How can we make Pete's character even more intense? And how can we make the Bible even more intense so that we can or Gid's character even more intense so that we can like so that we get more sparks as we run past each other? Um, and so at, once we so like we had like the dramatic premise and then and then as we went we kind of like at least in this, this time what we did is we brainstormed or like we did huge long emails of like character backgrounds. Like I feel like Gideon would say this about this, or I feel like Pete would say this about this, like long, like rambling emails. And we, we kind of smushed all those together um, into a first draft. And we're kind of like this conversation they have back and forth as, as this guy's wrestling with his faith. And then we kind of put some, put some pins in there to kind of dress it up. So it had some dramatic tension that carried it. So we could have these conversations in a way that felt high stakes and dramatic and not just like two people philosophizing for an hour. Yeah, and, and, and also like tones. I mean, we talk about story, but the, the plot, there's not really much of a plot plot in this. Like guy walks in room, guy leaves room is kind of it. The rest is just philosophical discussion mm-hmm. and, and character exposition and relationship. Uh, and so Normally, you'd have a rise and fall of, of conflict that, you know, follows a plot. And for us, that was tonal. So how do our characters, how do we have moments of brevity that aren't plot related, but are relational? So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about sports. So these characters are going to connect on something. Or they're going to agree about something. And then how can we um, authentically feel like we can ride our way into the lows where we're in conflict? Uh, and we, you know, we talked about a play, you know, to start as a play, you, you really have Dialogue is really your best weapon. Uh, in a script or a screenplay, um, you use film language like a close-up or a transition or jumping forward in time or back in time. Uh, and of course, you can use all those in on stage as well. But you typically don't have as much 
trickery with that, with the camera. And trick's not the wrong word for it, is the wrong word for it. But your storytelling device is much more linear. Uh, and there's budgetary constraints to flying outside of the room all of a sudden. Uh, so dialogue's your best weapon in theater. And we didn't, you know, we had a pretty small budget for it for our play. So we just knew that exposition, backstory, all that sort of stuff had to come from the characters getting it from the other person. So, um, so, I, so, so you don't have characters just walking on stage being, yeah, here's my whole thing and here's my whole backstory and this is what I think. Uh, the character doesn't want to reveal it and it is being pulled out of them. So the plot is in some way, you know, the exposition, the dialogue, the backstory. Uh, and we try to find a way to keep tone and yeah, tone uh, as the rise and fall that you would normally find with a typical plot. This is, it's, it's, it's an odd script in some ways, just yeah. one scene. You know, um, when, so when y'all when y'all were writing it, so when I watching the movie, I was thinking uh, there there's not two characters; it's just Pete. Mm. Like, like, what, did you think of it as two distinct characters? Like, because I mean, it's Pete in the hotel room talking to the Bible, but he's I mean, this is him, and it, it seems like it, even with the staging, that's why I thought it was kind of neat. The room is his it, to me felt like his brain. And he's in the window outside is the bad thing, the bad shit that's happening. And what's he going to do out there? The outside that window outside the door is the bad stuff that, you know, that you don't want to face. So you're in your head, you're in your mind. But do, do y'all think of Gideon, Gid and Pete as two separate characters? Or did you think it's it, or it's one guy? What, what did you think in the process there? I, you know, we sort of had to make a decision early on. And then we sort of had to accept that we would just sort of have our cake and eat it too. Gid yeah. is a lot of different things. He's in, he's a, you know, at, at some point, you know, Pete turns to get and says, you know, you can't feel anything. You're a book. Right. Uh, and yeah. it's the height of dramatic, you know, conflict. Uh, but clearly Dan's character of Gid is happy and low, like he does. feel right. So 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 we'd sort of have our cake and eat it, too, in some way. Mm -hmm. So Dan is at some points like the, the manifestation of well, Dan, you'll probably say it better than me. But like he's a lonely book. And also he's, you know, codified systems of belief and also he's sort of like you know this idea of you know um of, of what christianity might be today for, from a certain point of view so so he is a lot of things when, when we were when we were in the play stage i think there was a moment where we decided he he is a book he's a book on a shelf they're different it's and like a boy story like you got this is real yeah. um mm -hmm. because we didn't want to have to like do sort of this doubling back of you know, oh, he's an extension of him. So, you know, and it just felt like right. it, it got, it, it could distract from that dramatic premise that we were trying to yeah. get. Uh, but we definitely have moments. And, and when we took it to film, when we were able to have Gid's character disappear and get those beautiful shots from above of Pete alone in his room, yeah. then the story seemed to take on more of those elements. And for Dan, I think we really enjoyed that. Uh, we were talking about drama uh, earlier and, and conflict. One of the ways I like to think about the conflict, or, or at least the conflict in drama, is there being, you know, person versus himself, right? Internal conflict, person versus person. Um, you know, we have different objectives, what Dan was saying. Uh, and then person versus fate. Like, you know, uh, just, oh, the storm, it knocked over the house. I got to rebuild it, whatever. Um, and, and so this story sort of bounces back and forth between those in some ways. And there are moments when it feels like it's Pete versus himself. Can he yeah. untangle his own mysticism? He's not a great representation of, of any one philosophy because he's about to do this horrible thing, you know? Um, and also, at sometimes it's Pete versus Gideon because P 
he feels justified in what he's saying. Um, and so, and so you're right, when we get to the film, it, it is sort of that. And the idea of him looking out of his own mind to see the temptation or the, right. the act that's coming below, the, all, all the, that's, I think that's more reminiscent of the film than the play. And I love, love, love that that was an experience that you had watching it. I thought that, you know, I was wrestling with that too, but I thought I ultimately was looking at it as I really got a real kick out of the actual idea of personifying the Bible as a person. And I know that that was very, the real intentional part when I was like, ah, really good thought put in here was when you made the thing where you said he's 1500 years old, but then it's like, no, you personally, the idea to parse it down from not being the Bible in the abstract sense, the, the word of God, but no, this Bible sitting here, that's like 30 years old that has a child's drawing on it. Yeah. I'm just, I've all, you know, I'm just this one thing. And then it's like, but it is all these embodied analytical things and system and codified things, but it's him that, you know, is going to like his own rage and emotions eventually going to take over. I thought like the fact that it's that, and then, then that nerdy, bookie Gideon then shows you his what's really inside of him and that's what I thought was the most fun about it oh I love that that's great yeah I'm glad I'm glad, I'm glad it worked for you man we yeah we had a lot of fun with it uh, yeah D- Dan walking that tightrope it was was a really impressive feat for me to watch the whole time because uh, that's the experience everybody has of like these church people like I know you're mad on the inside I know you are I know you'd yeah. like to flip out and scream at me right now like go ahead you know like I've always felt that way about a lot of authorities that present like Gideon does you know and so that I thought was viscerally able to be connected to yeah that's great that's how great. was it so for us as musicians like we we work really hard to create the album and there's this big build up and you're like oh my gosh I can't wait and then you're done with it what was it like being done and then now your baby's out in the world and this thing that you know it's everybody's critiquing everything that you did your yeah. acting your writing everything about it what was it like after getting it done for you guys well, I don't, I don't read bad reviews, so it's great. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, gosh, that's a great question. We've, so, we've sort of been uh, – there, there have been moments where I felt like we were able to do that, uh, and then the project kind of kept having legs. So, you know, in, in our mind, you know, we went to our last performance of Fringe. We're like, wow, like we really finished this thing. That uh, was it. All and done. we got an extension. We're like, okay, we're going to do the play again. And then, you know, we did the play in Wisconsin and then we're doing the film and then distribution. Uh, and so, you know, because we were so involved in it, uh, a lot of new stuff for Dan and I, but it sort of feels like it's still going in a really cool way. Um, and it sort of feels like we, we're sort of continuing to try to put juice behind it and try to keep pushing it through the finish line, so to speak. Um, it seems like it will yeah. propel you into what you want to do next. Because, I mean, you guys have been acting for a while, but you don't have a ton of – I mean, this is your first movie credit of writing or something. I mean, maybe yeah. you've written a lot of plays. I wouldn't know. But do you – I mean, is this like a leverage yourselves into a direction or what's next? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so. I think just what you said, this is uh, this is our first feature film acting credit. This is our first feature film writing credit um it's a, so it's a big it's like a it's like it's it's a it's it's you know in some ways it's like a dream come true you know what i mean it in a, in a lot of ways it's just you know this this thing this little thing that we did for a 20 21 seat theater in the middle of hollywood got greenlit um and so and so now we exactly just what you said we're, we we kind of like you know jump jump from that and and hope that we get to keep finding work i i, I yeah I'm, I'm, I'm curious for you guys as musicians is it uh 
you know, I would, I don't, I don't know what you, what you guys' experience is like, but you know, it's just, it's always just such a joy to be working. You know, if you've got work and if you're able to like be selling your stuff and making your stuff, that's a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it, sure. it's like getting signed or something, you know, the skateboarders need to get sponsored or, right. you know, you got to get, there's a, always a thing that's significant that everybody sets. That means you're something that, and everybody is second. They get there. They realize, Oh, well, this is nothing. I still have a whole, this yeah, doesn't right. really solve anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, just, it's just a hunting license. Yeah. <laughs> you get a, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so then yeah. it's just a, a matter of what, whatever happens after that. But, but the things that consistently seem to work in music that the big comp, the companies have always been looking for is just whatever has its own underground heat that mm-hmm. then you could put stuff behind, you know, and everybody wants it to be, oh, you get the studio to give you the opportunity to go do something. But it, it's just really not that way. It has to be the stuff you're intrinsically already doing that inevitably then can get support or whatever. And then right. a lot of times, I think increasingly, they just don't need, you just can do it more and more. Our stories more, just continue to do more and more yourself and less and less. Yes. Like we got signed early uh, and then had a, started a career that way and then been transitioning to, less of that and more of what can we do that's new or different is kind of the way. And now with the pandemic and things becoming digital and, you know, there's, uh, you know, all these fields are going to have to adapt. And I feel like they're all the real create, the people that are able to generate real things mm-hmm. are going to be of the most value. Like if you can write or begin or set an aesthetic or just make a style that has to be, I think with less and less budgets, like the more, like that's what indie music did to be able to compete with major label music. Absolutely. So I'm I'm thinking that would be great in all the art forms. Too, it, it feels like the gatekeepers that. are having less and less power, and you can. Right. I mean, people are going to see movies like your guys and go, "Wait a minute, maybe my story. I could make my story, and maybe I could pull this off. Maybe I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it might, maybe it's going to be a, a yeah. crazy several days or two weeks or whatever. But I, I mean, you could really just try something that yeah. you wouldn't wouldn't have been able to before. And then there's going to be a lot more opportunity to show it on, you know, show your film can get around more places now too. There's a lot more yes. opportunities that way, right? Yes, I mean, hundred percent. I feel like that's what happened to us too. Is we we saw the Hollywood, I, our, I, Bradley, I think it was you too. I, I know I saw a play at the Hollywood Fringe Festival the year before we did ours, and we were like, oh my gosh! First of all, that was great, and second of all, I think we could do that. Like, I think we could. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like it's you know so crazy that we couldn't make that happen and so we kind of you know just um that kind of helped hopped us in the waters and so yeah man that, that'd be that would be awesome i would love if people were like oh my gosh we can do that how about we could do what they do and that, do it better and, and then like, it'll yeah, just open up more that's right if that could explode then all the good yes. ideas would come and you could all share them and people it would, be, it would create what you what would be a, a scene an underground scene you know that's movements yeah. come out and the whole styles and i think i mean i'm really kind of hoping that if the plainville's level if enough people can make you know, digital experiences musically, then the smart artists will continue to do that. The Super Bowl show was terrific. It was unbelievable. The, they did a bunch of new things in that. And so if it, more people will try new things, mm-hmm. then they'll, it can be more things for everybody yeah. to do. You know? and one of, what's something I love about that is that it becomes less like regional. You don't have to move somewhere right. to make music. Right. You know? right. And um, I know Dan, Dan and I have lamented this in the past where it can feel like, like let's get all the like not all of them but like well, let's get you know, ambitious creative people from all over America have them in one spot and then suppress that creativity, uh, and and it can feel like that sometimes because there's so much competition and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, 
and, and so it's a big city it's expensive it's a hard place yeah, to like, yeah, it's just, like los angeles new yorker it can be you know it's just a hard place to live it can be a discouraging place to live and you're not getting the you know yeah so the, the, the idea of self-producing means that you can do it where you are uh yes. and i think you know i, I think art creating art in a community is an important part of the community. Yes. Whether that's theater or music or film, uh, you know, having someone who's an artist is, you know, as important as having, having a baker <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. to just, you know, right. I think that's important. You know, well, that so. we're just now at the time when we can just begin and you guys are some of, you know, that you guys are at the beginning of this too, but it's like, we can begin to think about digital first experiences yes. and then if it's self-produced, but also did you remember when websites were like, that's like, Oh, you got to think mobile first or something like, what do you mean? No, just think that first, just think digital first with your experiences. Not only do you not all have to be together, neither does your audience. Like right. you can think flip theater inside out so that you could play for people in Thailand and Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, if you well, can well, also break, what you guys did, which I think is just really neat and innovative is the fact that this was written as a play, it's a film. Now somebody, like you said, in Wisconsin or wherever can watch this, but you guys could take this on the road. You can, you can take a Virtual. movie on the road. Like if you wanted to do this, I mean, you can do this live in theaters and yeah. all of a sudden a movie can come to you. That, that's, that does not happen. You don't, you don't put Avengers in a theater house with 300 people. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. I know they did Spider-Man or whatever on Broadway. I get, I get it. But I mean, that's like unbelievable amounts of money and time and you know, all that stuff. And they right. didn't have a lot of problems with Spider-Man falling into the ground or something too. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, you guys could pull this off. You could pull the movie off live, which uh -huh. is really phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's yeah. something weird that we, we love the idea of like being able to bring the play back and, uh, you know, and play the play again because yeah. We, you know, we wrote these parts for ourselves. And so, you know, we like it. Right. And when we do it live, we get to be a part of that talk back experience. Yeah. You know, right. Whether, whether, you know, when we're doing it in fringe, we'd, we'd spend time on the sidewalk with people chatting. And sometimes we'd be like, Oh, what was that thing that you said that mm -hmm. I want to remember? And sometimes it was, you know, good show, kind of the typical stuff. Uh, and when we did it in Wisconsin, we had, we did like, okay, we're going to do a talk back afterwards. If you want to stay, you can um, and it was really cool because there's people with differing opinions and, and there's something about experiencing art uh, that that can make differences not only easier because you're just already sort of in a more empathetic spot. If you're reading a novel, listening to music, you're, you're, your heart's just more involved. And sometimes it's an easier place to start than your head. Um, but also you can use the play as an example. You sort of don't need to like uh, you know, say this is something that you're experiencing because that could feel like you're revealing too much. And say, I was super interested when Gid said this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's all you need to say. And, and then someone could comment on that. So it, it sort of right. welcomes conversation in a way mm -hmm. with a bunch of people talking about faith, uh, whether it's theirs or their opinions about it. And, totally. and it's just so uncommon. Uh, e even, in, even in, you know, communities of faith, there's a lot of agreement. Uh, and so people are like, let's ask some tough questions. Let's let's disagree. Let's figure out, you know, how we might find something in the center that kind of involves what you were thinking. Um, that's just a, a really, really special experience. And that's one that we uh, feel like we can be a part of when we do the play live. It's like uh, mixing all those elements together. Why wouldn't that be part of the design of the media? Like you don't need to think theater old school AMC. You don't even need to think like that, really. You yeah. just think next time you go to develop that rehearsal mode and characters, you'll already be seeing it as a 20 person. You'll already be seeing it on the screen. You'll already be seeing it as an internet stream. You'll already be picturing the cameras, even when you're writing it now. Right. 
you like right. you'll and then you'll be thinking about the audience after you'll be able to see the whole territory that's distributed across time and with people and then there'll be a other side of that experience in the different ways you can experience the play either early in development like open mic or after it's perfected or once it's on the screen or live performance after i mean you can design all of that experience all the on every level if you you know what i mean that's and i think that the music and theater and movies are all about to take a big step closer together like yeah. they've been diverging as fields and they're coming straight back to this like i love what, that that, that makes me so excited. I, I'm, you know, I, I think I think I was talking to my friend about like watching a TV show and being able to choose what camera you're watching. Um, yeah. How cool would that be? Just have like, you know, oh, you know, like a like a live sitcom, but you get to decide, uh, mm-hmm. or like a sports show. Uh, but right right now, I'm I'm working on a musical, and it's going to be a filmed live musical. And so, awesome. uh, that's that's kind of what you're what you're saying is how do I stage this with the camera in mind. How can I use the camera and uh, you know dynamic ways to tell the story, uh, and all, all that's very new to me and really exciting, and uh, it's exactly awesome. what you're talking about. So yeah, I would love to have a whole conversation about that separate from this one because, from my view, the next step for us would be we we can we can write the music. So to do a, we could add a little bit of drama here or there between the song, like you can add a music to a drama. Mm-hmm. So and then maybe it just meets in the middle of one day or something. Who knows? Well, that, well, that's what you're going to see more and more bands because bands can't tour and bands are going to become more and more creative on it. You're not just going to put out a music video like we did our live specials and it was us. We pre-recorded it, but it was us playing live all the way through. So just we it was it, I mean we didn't stop. We played the entire just like you would hear it live or whatever. Right. And uh, and we're thinking about future things that we're going to put out and like what drama aspects could we add? What maybe we could do a little bit of storytelling. Why wouldn't we? Our songs tell stories. Why wouldn't us as a band tell a story and make this really interesting? So I think you're going to see a lot more of that for sure. Uh, so, I, that, so do you, do you, do you guys think about the music that you do as uh, stories that you tell primarily? Is it, or like, is it a similar process where it's like a feeling or a thing that you're following or is it a lyric or how does that work for you guys when you're kind of incepting those things? Is it story first? or I'll let Toby answer that feeling question, but I'm going to tell you my abstract thinking that I've been really thinking hard about for a long time. I still can't quite yep. get it, but my, I've been become interested in story secondarily because I understand it's super important, but that's not why I got interested in music. But now that I'm trying to put the two together, I see the function of a story to be a you have to be in the head of the protagonist and they you have to there has to have that third rail going where you're in you're taking the ride in their head not your own anymore and they do a journey over time to change or whatever that's what that's about you know but the songs when you encounter them in musicals or anything like that they're just snapshots of static characters in a mood that just says it's flat so a song is I think I'll let Toby answer the feeling part. I bet his process is similar to like you're saying about having that feeling or whatever and chasing it. But uh, songs to me seem to be let it, they can be stories, but they're really just a character doing a thing that you can resonate with for three minutes. Like you can just be in that place. But and that usually because like a, a story in a musical goes and then it's Steve Martin singing, I am the dentist or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just that's him, man. Like he ain't changing, you know, right. That's his vibe. So that's how I see songs. Mm. I just think storytelling in general is the, maybe the most important thing that we got. Like when you, you guys, you there's 
it is how we have everything. Everybody's, t- I mean, it, it, for the longest time, it was word of mouth. And those are just stories. I feel like people, I know it, you know, some of it might be based in fact, but you tell a good fact with a, a story and then you remember it. If you just tell somebody a fact, you don't remember the date that some president was or whatever, you know, but you, if you tell the story, that's why we were talking about this on an earlier podcast. The idea of everybody knows that George Washington didn't do the chopping down the cherry tree and all stuff. But the reason that story lasted, even though it was a lie, was because it meant something that maybe our first president was honorable, even when he wasn't president. You know, there's this bigger storyline there. And so when I'm writing music or writing lyrics, the things I'm thinking about are what message or story am I trying to convey here so that the person can understand it? And then also, like you guys said, uh, a little bit of the ups and downs and the tones of it, like there's a little bit of serotonin or dopamine hits where you're like, okay, give them a break and then hit them with this. And then, you, you know, you guys did that really well with the music underneath and the intense and, and scenes where it's, it's the exact same set, but all of a sudden you feel the real tension. You know what I mean? Like, uh-oh, oh, this feels a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, release a little bit. We, you know, we try to do that with our music as well. Give, give yeah. people something that keeps you a little bit off, off guard. You know, not on, not on two feet necessarily. And then, uh, really try to get that story where they can connect with. And that's why, I like, like y'all's movie, I think that's the way I felt too. Like that wrestling with the faith idea and, and going, you know, I was taught the Bible's true and right and God is good and morally He's awesome. But what if I asked this one question, that, mm-hmm. that, that genocide question, like, you know, you asked, or what if I said, I mean, God killed people. I mean, or what, you know, what God hate, hated a, a lot of people, it seems like in the Bible or that, you know, and, and there's always the answer for it. But asking those questions is the important part. That's that's the thing that I like about y'all storytelling. Asking the question is the most important thing. The answer is secondary because we might not even get to it. It's about you and who you are and, and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, guys, we really appreciate you being on here. The movie's called Gun in a Hotel Bible. Uh, and you can <laughs> go to Gun. Uh, yeah, I know it was. Uh, Gun in a Hotel Bible.com. Where else can they go, folks, go to find it and find out about you guys? Anywhere you want to send them? It's on Amazon, I think, right? Yes, Amazon, uh, iTunes, anywhere you rent or, rent or buy a movie. You can keep up with us on social media at uh, for Instagram and Facebook at Gun in a Hotel Bible or Twitter at Gun Hotel Bible. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank guys, you guys. This has been great. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Great to meet you guys. Yeah. yeah we'll stay work. in touch. Be curious what you get get into next. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Let keep us, us up. Know, let us know when you guys do the uh, dumb waiter again. Love okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be an encore. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to see that one. <laughs> I'm first in line. I'm first in line. <laughs> I will fail of that I'm sure I will remind you of the pain
Okay, if you're digging this vibe you're hearing right now, that way that you're feeling, that's brought to you by Demon Hunter. You're listening to I Will Fail You. It's one of the songs from their upcoming project, Songs of Death and Resurrection. Songs of Death and Resurrection is a collection of beloved Demon Hunter songs that have been reimagined into acoustic arrangements like this, featuring the full band, string sections, and lots more. You can pre-order it. You can go to demonhunter.live to find the exclusive shirts, the box set vinyl, uh, and more. You can head to Solid State for more vinyl variants as well. And everything they do is so great. And the merch and the package and the design is terrific. So go check that out at uh, demonhunter.live. That's where everything is. So I Will Fail You. This is one of several singles that's currently available and many more are on the way. So go to the band's Spotify or their Apple Music page, and don't miss anything. It's Songs of Death and Resurrection. It's available everywhere on March 5th. Pre-order it now. All right, Gun in a Hotel Bible. I really mm-hmm. did enjoy it, and it really did get me thinking, like, because uh, we were talking about how you're going to be able to do more DIY filming and all that stuff. I mean, maybe you really should think when you're writing a movie now, how can I perform it live too? Because that would be yeah, pretty you could do awesome. It on Zoom. Like, well, you know what you. I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you if you had a great dynamic, it's not as if people won't listen and watch people do things on Zoom. Right. Uh, obviously, right now people are listening to us talk. Right. So if we were whatever we're saying right now, and then people, if you watch a podcast or whatever, it's just you watching people talk on Zoom. So if yeah. they were acting their fucking ass off and making you feel things, wouldn't you continue right. to watch it? Yeah. So that's, I mean, it just hadn't been done really very well yet. But you could be a zero budget movie. You could sell $10 for 10 people to come act their fucking asses off to people. Yeah. You you could. It's just nobody's done that yet well enough to be worth $10, I don't guess. But it could be live chat, anything. Probably for me, most movies that I really love are kind of that empty, could be maybe done. Like, like that uh, Kevin no Con- Spacey movie is sick, like that. I should have asked them if they know oh, that movie. Yeah, yeah. What, what is, is that, that movie? It's Kevin Spacey and Mike Dexter from Can't Hardly Wait. Or, I don't remember what it's called. It's awesome, but it's just two people in the room the whole time, pretty much. It's yeah, really it's the same thing. It's, it's some like they're like salesmen and they're trying to hype yeah. themselves up for a salesman yeah. job, right? Man, I wish I could. What's that guy's name? Uh, Peter Fascinelli. It's and, not uh, company, man. Yeah. That's not no. it, is it? No, no it's that's Peter Fascinelli and, um, you know, it's Kevin Spacey. I'll look it up, but uh, but the idea I was I was even thinking like um, like my favorite movie, No Country for Old Men. Could you pull that off in a play setting and see it live? Like I would, I actually think that'd be really cool, but I don't know if you can. Maybe it's Why so not? big, but it, but it's you? empty. But that that's what I'm saying. You might could pull off that one you is based the on the scenery? characters. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could pull well, that off. Why, live why can't the, the scenery stage? be digital? Yeah. Why well, can't it be the way right. they shoot Mandalorian well, I, on a giant 360 green screen video game world built that's even more beautiful than West Texas? You mean in a in a theater setting? Like you go well, There's no a, difference in movies and a, theaters in what I'm suggesting at the moment. They're one unified thing. The Mandalorian is shot on a 360 green screen always. Yeah. And it you see it in other planets and it's built and rendered like a video game universe where everywhere you look, there's renderable detail. Yeah. And then the actors are always in a green screen. So why couldn't you do that in real time? And how would it be? what would be the difference in a movie and theater at that point? Right. That's true. Zero. Uh, I mean, and what would be right. different than the special we did other than we played music and Under Oath played there's a lot. I mean, what's the difference in any of that? It's all the exact same media. Screen, yeah. place, immersion, camera work, streaming, iPhone screen. 
movie theater screen, it's all the same. It's just different it versions. The Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna, that's it. That's <laughs> it. That was pretty good. That's 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 when everybody liked Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that was when now, he was cool. He, he hadn't uh, he hasn't aged well. Well, I think it's been a master plan all the all all the while, and the Kaiser Soze moment was just a a preview of the you know he's always been the Kaiser Soze. That's the real him. It's crazy he's, when you think about people who, who are, think who, I don't even want to get into it. People who are beloved and then that the, towards the end of their life they're just hated. I mean, it's just I mean. You could say that about Donald Trump. Somebody. I mean, people did like Donald Trump. They thought he was cool. He was on Oprah, and I mean, people thought he was just whatever. And, I think more I mean, people it, like him now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like when he says more people voted me from second most ever. I mean, that's oh, real. It oh did happen. God. So he did increase the amount he has liked overall. He just was willing America. to pay a steep price. But he was he's, he's been able to steadily increase t- up to this point. The amount of people who like him, so his adoration that he's received has been steadily increasing for his whole life. Yeah. So that's why he and says, he, Fuck and you. he ain't done yet. And he ain't. I, I mean, uh, it could go the other way from here, and maybe has tipped its peak. But so far, he's grown in popularity for, you know, total. Like if yeah. you take the negativity and don't, and ignore it, which he does, there's just simply however many people voted for him, and that's all he right. cares about is the adoration. All right. Well, if you voted for Donald Trump that first term. Your penance is you need to get get clear in your head and get better and become a better person. The only way to do that is join the BC Club. So any voters that uh, to go for, clear that voted is that, for it, is that right? Yeah. Going clear means to join <laughs> the BC Club. Are you sure? Is that that's probably message? not the best words. Let's say okay. what's the what's a better one? Uh, what what would one? Uh, let's say what would David Koresh say, have said? <laughs> <laughs> no, we ain't no cult. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you voted for Donald Trump, you owe us a BC membership. BC Club membership. You can go to thebcclub.com. Is that right, Matt? Yep. You Trump supporters that now realize that you were wrong, join the mm-hmm. BC Club. We'll welcome you in. You can get all the forgiveness and love you want, and it'll help keep this podcast moving along. Thank you we, very much. We do issue mega pardons. <laughs> <laughs> you just come turn in your hat. You get yeah, a turn it pardon in. if you join the yep. BC Club. We'll, we'll collect all the bag of hats and stuff and burn them at the next BC yep. con right. <laughs> at a big bonfire. You, get a full, you can walk in, nobody say shit. You just drop the <laughs> yep. hat off. You drop get it a off. full pardon with your membership. It's one of the perks. That's it. And then you move You forward. are forgiven. You are forgiven. All right, we'll see y'all later.